If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome, everybody. It is the J.C. and Morgan podcast, number 155, 155. If you're scoring at home, he's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan, ESPN, SEC Network. Glad to uh, have you on board again. We told you we weren't lying. We're not, we're not abandoning you in the off season. We're still going to be regulars on this throughout the off season, because again, football is truly a 12 month sport. We've got a number of things to, uh, to, to get into. And, uh, I, I'm even going to start with a, an NFL thing, which I think is really whatever is still fresh on everybody's brain brains after what was a remarkable, just a phenomenal weekend, of uh, playoff games, maybe the best ever. And it kind of makes you yearn as a college football fan for what a playoff could look like as opposed to two blowouts, which seems to happen every year and um, a championship game that I'm sure we all enjoyed, but uh, one that a good portion of the country didn't seem to care about. Anyway, with that, all that being said, uh, we have our third member back. From uh, parts unknown, wearing a toboggan and a plaid shirt uh, and a scruffy beard. That, that paints the picture of that mysterious voice you hear, Michael Haney, who will uh, do what he normally does in helping us set up the uh, Hot Haney Five or maybe a little more freelance this week. Michael, welcome back. Uh, how are you? JC, how are you? I forgot I'm, the salutations to everybody. Oh, I'm doing good. Just well, uh, I'm. Uh, yeah, ready to, to rock and roll. Sorry, Michael, go ahead. My bad. No man, no, I'm I'm all good, and I appreciate that descriptor, Mike. That's uh, that's a it's a good one. I think um, the the novelist inside you would be very proud of how you how you described my my exact getup. Yeah, so little protagonist, antagonist. Your, your, uh, yeah, and you're working on your that white novel. athletic long. Still working on the novel. Yeah, <laughs> Brian and Brian and Stewie would be proud. Yeah, JC's got the the glasses and the hat. Uh, yeah, I, I have a just a generic white long sleeve T-shirt, although it's actually fairly warm here today in Atlanta after we had uh, snow. A I feel inches like given your play by play acumen, Mike, I, yeah. I feel like that's how you start every show. You need to go ahead and give the descriptors. You know, here we are on the yeah, Zoom call. Sure. Left. Got, got myself wearing the. The plaid and the, and the right, media, you know, I go back to my my radio play by play roots, um, which which I still do from time to time and, and just kind of paint the picture uh, going left to right on your radio dial. It's uh, Sherbert under center, Michael Haney working the slots, single back left with Morgan uh, and uh, you just to start describing things that way. And we'll go from there. 
We'll start like, with the formation. We'll, we'll call the play, and yeah, we'll we'll break it all down scientifically. I I I do take for granted that people know, like we're not calling this in a we're not calling, we're not broadcasting this in a studio. Uh, if you've been around for the majority of the 155 of these, then you know that. But we we pick up new um, listeners every day. I heard uh, nice comments from a big Georgia fan. I, I thought he was going to just be happy about what we said about Georgia winning the title. But he was he just loved our description, JC, of of you know analyzing NIL and transfer portal, which isn't sexy, but I think every college football fan realizes it's part of the deal. So you want to. You want to keep up with it as best you can. But, yeah, so J.C.'s in a – we're all on a Zoom. Everybody knows Zoom now, right? J.C.'s in Chicago on a Zoom mm. with a picture of his dog and Snoop Dogg behind him. <laughs> uh, Michael's in Nashville in a – looks like the bedroom there, uh, uh, Michael, with a with a fan and a pillow behind you. And I'm, uh, in, yep. I'm at the Gotta kitchen table. Yeah, got to be cozy. I got nothing wrong with that. I'm at the kitchen table with the the island behind me in case, you know, anybody wants to grab a snack. Eventually, we'll probably do what a lot of people have done and put this sucker on video and stream it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, that's coming. That's coming. That's coming. That's coming. Um, yeah. I don't I, I I don't know why some people like that. But <laughs> yeah. I, I'm all I'm I'm cool with it, you know. Like I, it, uh, I guess I'm kind of a visual. You guys who have known me for years, you know me as a guy who much prefers the visual to the audio. In that, I love movies and certain TV shows. I'm not a huge music guy, so I'm more of that YouTube thinking kind of person. You guys are more. You guys yeah. are more concert type of guys. Like I, you're, you're, you're music experts, right? Well, I, well Michael is. Uh, yeah, I like music, <laughs> uh, as you know, from when I was your neighbor, Mike. Um, yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, you know, I like music and so do the lot. neighbors across the creek. Yeah, is about I think uh, everybody likes, everybody knows JC likes music. But uh, You just get the bass kicking tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, but no, it's, um, it's just not something like podcasting wise that I, even like, Colin Cowherd and uh, the folks that do radio shows that are simulcast, uh, Dan Patrick, as great as those guys are. To me, it's m- much more of a, an, an audible medium. So I'm like, who in the heck would want to watch that and see us? Uh, but it is popular uh, on YouTube. And I, and I know like when I use YouTube, too, like I'll sometimes throw on a documentary, like a, like a Vietnam war documentary. And I won't necessarily watch it. I'll listen to it. Right. And, and right. I do, I do. And I know this uh, podcast also is now available on audible.com nice. where you can get audio books. Uh, and I'm into audio books as well. I listen to it to go to sleep at night. So, so maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe people don't actually watch or, or maybe they're just, uh, kind of wanting to get our facial expressions well, or whatever, you gave a, but you know, you, you gave a great example. Um, Dan Patrick is one of the few national shows that I take in on a re- semi-regular basis, right? I, I don't watch the, the the shows where it's like two guys just screaming at each other and giving disingenuous takes on stuff. That's not that that doesn't interest me at all. But but the Dan Patrick show, he and what's now down to three Danettes because uh, McLovin left to do a talk show. Um, I always watch that. If I can, as well as listen, I could just go audio, but I love their man cave setup, and I love seeing the the facial reactions and the. So again, I I kind of get it. 
Um, I don't know if people will enjoy seeing our uh, stunning faces uh, when we put this thing on video, but uh, that probably is the next step as we continue to evolve. As I always like to say, we started this thing, JC and I did, however many years ago on Skype, and it was probably the worst produced uh, podcast. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say that. Nowadays, anybody can watch a podcast, and if they have seven people, you know, like their their grandmother and their girlfriends listen, then they consider it a success. We actually had a good amount of people from the very start on this thing, and it's grown. So the worst produced relative to the amount of people that would download it and listen every week. But we have evolved. We've gotten better, and and, and the, the technology is better, and I think uh, what we put out there is a little bit better, and now... We just hope to continue to refine. We're never satisfied here on JC and Morgan, always trying to get better. All right. With that preamble. Oh, can I just say one other thing off, off subject? Sure. Since I've got two guys who I... I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about that, Mike. I'm going to... Yeah, let, let's take it to a vote. <laughs> I'm not going uh, Michael has said no, so let's just pass over. No, I got to say this. Uh, this is the kind of stuff, you know, when we were all doing sports talk shows, random subjects that we would get into, especially in football season, you know, ends and you're, you're kind of searching for stuff. Uh, I, I have an insane cable bill and I have, um, Netflix and I have, well, Amazon prime. You can watch shows on that. And the wife has Hulu, which, so therefore I have access to Hulu. Netflix just went up to like 20 bucks a month. And I was thinking about this when, when I finish Ozark, this, this final season, I, I go on Netflix now and I see more things than ever and more things that I could care less to watch. There's not very many good documentaries anymore. Um, and I see just a lot of shows that I have no interest in. Have you guys, you guys are all, you're Netflix guys right you both spend the the monthly fee on it yep. have you considered dropping it since they keep jacking up it used to be like six five ninety nine a month it's now going to be 20 bucks well on it to be completely transparent i'm i'm on a like family sharing deal so yeah you know <laughs> right i don't really have to consider so that So you're not paying the freight oh, yeah. so for you it's an eat but but if you were paying the for i mean how much do you watch netflix now I mean, not as much as I would like to, but, you know, on travel times and, and things like that, it actually does help out a lot uh, doing, okay. doing so what you're I'm still, you're still, you're positive right. on it. You're still thumbs up on it. JC, I can always find something. Yeah. Okay. I'm struggling. I, I, I like, I mean, Ozark, obviously. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a, my, we all, I, I, yes. I had it, you know, you just, watch that. just for that. But I, I'm with you, Mike. I, I find myself watching other things. A whole lot more, you know. HBO Max, yeah, that's a good uh, has Sort of has sort of blown the uh, other ones away. We get Paramount Plus as part of the the Big Spur subscription package uh, or twenty four seven Sports uh, uh -huh. subscription package. So uh, shameless plug there for all you fans. Uh, we have a site for every school. Um, so I've been watching you know Paramount Plus a little bit. My concern with letting go for net for Netflix or any of them is twofold. Number one. I don't remember who all I've given my password to. <laughs> and I don't necessarily want to hear from somebody I haven't heard from in a while, uh, i.e. like an ex-girlfriend or something going, why did oh, you no. cut me off of the Netflix? And I'm like, that's just not something I want to deal with right now. Uh, 
And, and I, I don't know, like some of my brothers may have it. My mom may have had it. I don't know. So that, that's number one. Number two, I'm worried they're going to get into live streaming sports content. And then I'm just going to have to uh, sign back up. Uh, but I, I do, I, I did cut YouTube TV and we, you know, we don't have cable Mike for years. I was kind of like you. I just did not want to let go with the cable because I yeah. like my sports. I like my live programming. I, I was concerned about internet connections and, 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 and delays and things like that. But right. um, once I got to Chicago, we kind of made a decision to, to, to cut it and uh, invest, it. invest more in the, uh, in the, you know, up in our, uh, you know, wireless boost and hadn't missed it. So, but I'm with you on Netflix a little bit there. I, uh, I, it's something, you know, I probably won't drop, but I, I, I do think it's worth an evaluation after, the second half of the final season of Ozark is over because I'm not going to spoil it, but that was absolutely, I watched it all in one night. Absolutely amazing. Uh, How many episodes are in the first half? Seven. Seven. And then there's going to be a second half that comes when? With seven more, uh, probably in spring or summer, late spring, early summer. Okay. So this is like what HBO did with the Sopranos the final year. They split it up into two. Yeah. But it's 14 episodes long. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So now, well, well, heck, I'm screwed then because I, I'm not going to cut it out until I finish Ozark. Yeah. Uh, but after that, like, and it, then they're going to come up with something else. They're going to come. They, there, there will always be something else. Like, you're going to talk a big game right now. I guarantee I, it. But, but what <laughs> else have they come up with? Going to catch your eye. You're like, I got to tell you something. In the last couple of uh, years. They haven't come this. up with they haven't come up with much that I'm really that the space shuttle uh, challenger documentary was outstanding, uh, but I got to tell you like even when I board a plane, you can you know download Netflix shows and and then watch them on the plane, which I feel like wow this is great. Now I'm really getting my twenty bucks worth, and I struggle to find things I want to download off of Netflix and look and look at later. So I mean I you know I'll, I'll finish up Cobra Kai which is kind of like, it's silly, but it's cute. Um, but then they I know what I, they're that, doing with that. And they're in on the joke, which I appreciate about that show. Absolutely. They don't take absolutely. themselves too seriously. Right. But like, if you look at the top 10 things, archive 81, too hot to handle the Royal treatment cheer, uh, something animated cocoa melon. I'm guessing that's for kids. The witcher, uh, number nine is something called the girl, that girl Lele. And number 10 is the edge of war, which is a 1938, uh, hit worth it. I don't know. I, I'm just, just, just something on a little sidebar subject. Like give me another bloodline. Give me, give me another breaking bad. Give like it, it, they were, they were hot. Like Netflix was on fire a while ago. I feel like they've cooled off. And as they've cooled off, they raised my rates on Netflix. So just figured I'd throw that out there to the, uh, to the gallery. All right. So before we get into the, the nit and gritty of subjects that uh, Michael has prepared on the college football front, like I said, outstanding weekend. I think we all saw at least parts, of, if not full games, I, I was completely dialed in to Buffalo KC. That might be the best NFL game I've ever seen. Um, and, and Josh, Allen, if, if they don't choke it away in the final 13 seconds, they being the bills defense, not to mention the, the call to not do a squib kick. The, the, the whole narrative this week is Josh Allen. That's the narrative. It's not Pat Mahomes and it's not KC. We already know Pat Mahomes is next level. Great. 
But but Josh Allen, the plays he made in that game are something the likes I just haven't seen. What he did in leading that team back and what should have been a victory on the road, I, I've never seen anything quite like that. So it got me to thinking on the eight quarterbacks that were in the playoffs this weekend. We had to, that's not the they were all great games. They were all in their own way great games. So you had Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, Jimmy Garoppolo, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Burrow, Ryan Tannehill, Tom Brady, and Matthew Stafford. Those were the eight starting quarterbacks. And I thought this was interesting. And JC, you can you can go deeper on the recruiting front. I even tweeted one thing on the recruiting front. I had to look this up. I didn't know, if, know it off the top of my head. Josh Allen, how did he wind up at Wyoming? He had no Division One offers. And then all of a sudden, Idaho State came in and a couple of like Ivy League schools were looking at him. He wound up, he was going to go to Idaho State. And at the last minute, Wyoming came in. He, he chooses Wyoming over Idaho State. Uh, and he was a first round pick. I think he was number eight. But really, if you go back and you look and read, a lot of people said this has got bust written all over it. He was inconsistent. He didn't see great competition while he was at Wyoming. Uh, I wouldn't waste a, a top 10 pick on him. Very, very heavily criticized pick and prospect was Josh Allen. Some people that won't want to admit that now, but believe me, they're out there. Uh, Pat Mahomes, I called a couple of his games at Texas Tech. Again, it was Texas Tech. They didn't win a ton of games. And Pat Mahomes was seen by a lot of people as like this incredibly skilled guy. But how, 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 what did he win when he was with Texas Tech? How good is he really? Is he just another product of a Texas Tech offense where everybody seems to throw for a million yards? Garoppolo, Eastern Illinois. Second round draft pick, Aaron Rodgers, Juco, then Cal, then had to wait till the end of the first round before he's picked. Joe Burrow can't find the field at Ohio State, so he leaves, go to LSU. And everybody talks about the national championship season, but remember the year before, he was he was okay. He wasn't great. And quite frankly, a lot of people had doubts if Joe Burrow was was a true national championship quarterback going into that magical final year. Ryan Tannehill, a wide receiver at Texas A&M, converted quarterback. Uh, Matthew Stafford, that's the one guy, right? Five-star at a high school, uh, number one pick in the draft. Like, th- There's not much of a good story there. That's not a Disney movie. And Tom Brady, we all know, is, is the sixth rounder. So I, I thought that was interesting because we, we – we're going into another draft where uh, teams uh, are going to struggle to figure out whether Kenny Pickett can play, whether Matt Corral is, is big enough for the NFL, whether Malik Willis is another one double a start. Well, not one double a Liberty is FBS now, but a small school guy, is he really ready for the big time? I just thought the journeys of all these quarterbacks so different and so interesting in their own ways. And JC, you could add another layer on the recruiting front for these guys. Yeah, it, it, I went through and did some 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 breakdowns of the eight. Okay, so you have uh, one five star guy in Matt Stafford, and uh, we all thought Matt Stafford was special. Got to give a shout out to my boy Bobby Burton, who I worked with at Rivals.com. I think Stafford was class of 06 or 07. Um, it was 07 because he got to no, was it was it 08? 07 because he got to Georgia and started. No, he was class of 06 because he started the second game or came in the second game for Georgia in 06. It was against South Carolina. I was there. That's how I know that. Um, 
I was just a young pup, no pun intended, since he was a Georgia quarterback. Uh, but one thing that was never a question was his arm talent. He goes to Detroit where, man, you know, it's, it's Detroit. It's the Lions, right? <laughs> and kind of lives in obscurity, but he puts up all these numbers. And then finally, uh, playing for Sean McVay, that was his championship moment. If you remember when he was at the University of Georgia, they got all the way to the, what was it, the 08, what season was it? It was the 07, it was 07, it was 08. They were, they were again, it was one of those teams where they cycled up, Stafford was back, um, older player, and they ran into uh, Urban Meyer's really good Tim Tebow uh, Florida team that won their second national title. Uh, just like they did in 04 when they had David Green and Pollock as seniors, they ran into that Auburn team. So, you, excuse me, you're just not used to Matt Stafford being on that level, but he was the, the decorated five-star quarterback. Remember Bobby telling me, because uh, Stafford's from Highland Park, Texas, uh, and went to Georgia. Mike Bobo, Mark Rick got him, won a big recruiting battle, uh, and got him at UGA. Uh, and so that was his moment. The rest of these guys, the recruiting industry completely uh, missed, swift. Uh, and, and this is, you're talking about seven of the eight. Um 24-7 sports, uh, Jerry Hamilton and I actually did have Burrow in the top 250 just because you talk to anybody in the state of Ohio, uh, and they talked about Burrow being like this great player, but we heard the same about Mitch Trubisky, and obviously he didn't turn out to be the type of pro that, that Joe's been. Both were first-round draft picks, which is interesting. Uh, two Ohio kids that, that did not go to Ohio State that were number one overall picks. But, you know, Garoppolo lived in obscurity. He was from uh, northern suburbs of Chicago. Uh, how did Notre Dame and everybody else miss him? You know, uh, University of Illinois, how did they miss him? Goes to Eastern. Um, you know, Tom Brady, that, that, that's a story that's well documented uh, in, in that at Michigan, the starter got hurt. He came in and then with the Patriots, he did whatever. Aaron Rodgers and, uh, and Josh Allen, uh, you mentioned Allen's recruiting story, Mike. Did you know that was out of junior college where he had the Idaho State and Wyoming offer? That's right. So Allen Allen and Aaron Rodgers both out of high school. No offers. No offers. offers. <laughs> no, no offers. And then Cal took a chance on him. And then Wyoming, which, uh, you know, Mike, you and I have watched Wyoming play, and I'm sure you've seen some play too, Michael. They're not exactly an air raid type of offense out there, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but he had the arm, um, you know, so, so, you know, that's interesting about all these guys. What's also interesting is where they come from. Uh, the state breakdown of this is, is crazy. Three from California, three from Texas, and then one each from Illinois and Ohio, and that's it. So so you tell me, you know, if you're out there and you're Southern Cal to relate this to recruiting, or if you were Matt Brown at Texas or anybody at Texas, uh, University of Texas, for a long, long time, and you see all these quarterbacks from your states going and getting to the pros elsewhere, you know, th- that's recruiting malpractice. And that, to mm-hmm. me, sometimes is worse uh, than, you know, star ratings and whatever and, and not signing top ten classes or, or whatever you're doing because, yeah, okay, so you go sign Johnny Five Star from whatever state or from the, the high school that's got all the hype in Texas or whatever – and then here comes this other guy, and, and he's an all-pro, and you're going five and seven. You know, you're, you're kind of sitting there going, man, this is a long track record of just bull crap, you know, where, <laughs> you know, we've missed on all these guys. And so I think that's very interesting uh, to look at. And I'll say this one thing to wrap up 
about the draft and the people that were, uh, you know, what's more inaccurate than recruiting rankings, which I think to my credit and to the people of my industry's credit, recruiting rankings are about a 60% accurate thing. The most inaccurate thing in all of sports may be the hot takes after the NFL draft (laughs) before and after. I mean, I just, I look at some of the stuff and I'm like, this is just a load of, you know what? I mean, I'm like, you guys just don't, you don't know. You don't know your butt from a hole in the ground. You know, it's like some people were not even wanting them to, the Packers to take Aaron Rodgers late in the first and look at what mm-hmm. he's done. And I mean, it's just like, wow. And look, I know some of those guys in that business and that's nothing personal at either to, to any, anybody specifically. Uh, and it's more so the trickle down guys, because right. you have hot takes on the NFL draft over. And I mean, they are everywhere, everywhere. Uh, and, and there's no, like, uh, like unlike recruiting rankings where everybody's like, oh, he was supposed to be a five-star and he wasn't or whatever, uh, which, by the way, recruiting rankings, you're evaluating thousands of players. You know, you're not doing that with the draft. You've, you've got a much smaller pool and much more film, by the way, <laughs> I might add. Um, you know, I'd like to go – there's no accountability because every year they grade these drafts and nobody goes back and looks and says, well, hey – this draft this team had, you know, everybody thought it was an A plus draft, and boy, they're, you know, they're they're knocking on the door of the Super Bowl. No, no, you never see that, do you? No, no. And so that that's the thing about that too is that there's nothing I think that's more iffy in sports or, or hot takery, uh, you know, that has to do with something that we all care about and love and follow. Not not like the other hot takes that we see than NFL draft hot takes. Well, and there, there's there's a, a one prominent name. I'm not going to. Uh, throw him under the bus because we've all been wrong and stuff. But I mean, he swore up and down on draft day that Dwayne Haskins was clearly the best quarterback in this draft. Well, Dwayne Haskins was in the same draft as some of the guys I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dwayne Haskins is nowhere to be found. Um, and those are the same kind of guys that that also said Josh Allen would would be a bust and you shouldn't waste a pick on him. Another guy I remember watching one day, he's like, I saw Justin Herbert on TV at Oregon the other day. <laughs> Why would I take a first round pick on him? Um, because he has one of the most ridiculously talented at arms in the sport and he hasn't taken long to showcase that at the NFL level. So you just don't know. No, yeah, you just, don't. Well, just, just to, to, you know, kind of piggyback off of, you know, to use Haskins since that's the name that you brought up and not to say that he would have been anything else, but to use that and to also use Matt Stafford, who you were talking about, JC, clearly he's got the talent. He put all the numbers up in Detroit, but he was playing in Detroit uh, Haskins gets <laughs> gets put where he's put, and you and you wonder where you know, how do these quarterbacks become who they are? Is it a product of the system? Is it a product of all the variables in place at the franchise that they end up going to? Like if Matt Stafford had gone anywhere other than Detroit, how many conference title games does he play in? How many Super Bowls does he make? Because the one year he finally gets an offensive coordinator and some more talent around him, well, they're knocking on the door of the Super Bowl. Same thing with Pat Mahomes. If he's not playing under Andy Reid and he's playing under another franchise that isn't run as well or coached as well, the talent is still there. But is he basically pissing in the wind and pissing away a, a bunch of talent? Uh, it's just it's one of those larger philosophical questions of perfect place, perfect time of the of the franchise being run well, the right coach at the right time for some of these players. As no well. question, and and that goes to coaches too. Like I remember broadcasting two Colorado games. Uh, this would have been in what, 2013, 14, somewhere in there. And the head coach was Embry who got fired quickly. The offensive coordinator was Eric Bieniemy, 
And they were terrible. They were terrible. So there's there's a huge movement uh, for Eric Bieniemy. People want to see Eric Bieniemy get a head coaching job, and I hope he does. But Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid. Andy Reid's always been a brilliant play caller. I don't know if he's always been a brilliant coach, but he is one of the most innovative guys out there scheming up things. Going back to Philadelphia, I mean, you saw Donovan McNabb with Andy Reid. You saw Donovan McNabb without him. He can call a place. Is he a great motivator of men? I I don't know. Uh, doesn't strike me as a, a Newt Rockney type, but but he can he can draw a place. But Eric Bieniemy, when you have Pat Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, like they're almost un, undefensible. Like that's what you saw against Buffalo too. Buffalo was a pretty good defense all year long. Sean McDermott, who was a former DC at the Panthers, has always been a great X and O guy on defense. But they were outmatched. They were just completely overmatched. And I, I don't know how you defend KC. So those coaches look a hell of a lot more brilliant with that talent, that the talent that is Pat Mahomes. You're right. If you, if you put him in Detroit or Washington, or it's not the same result. Oh yeah. I mean, the jets for sure. It's not the same result. And and then you have a guy like Sam Darnold and you blame it on the jets, but he goes to the Panthers and he's still bad. So it's like, you just, you don't know, but I, I, I am fascinated I've always been kind of a draft geek to begin with, but I'm really fascinated by projecting quarterbacks. And JC, you did it at a at a, a much harder level oh, because geez. evaluating 17 year old high school kids who are not even fully grown uh, that is wow. a much more difficult thing to do than 21 year old NFL uh, guys evaluating you know college guys that have been starters for three four years. So I I think that's where it becomes. Uh, closer to, ch- to to checkers than chess in terms of evaluations, but still guys miss all the time. And while most of the guys I mentioned on that list are first round draft picks, again, there were a lot of misses. And, and of course, we could go through a whole lot of misses that were first round quarterbacks that completely flopped. I mean, Dwayne Haskins is is just one. I'm not sure Daniel Jones is is going to uh, amount to a whole lot in the near future. And then you've got you know Jason Goff, and I mean, there's just there's a lot of guys, a lot of QBs that go first round that are complete flops. You, you just don't know. But one thing we all know in college football and pro football, if you don't have a quality quarterback, you're not going very far. Yeah, no doubt. Would you I have mean, considered Ryan Tannehill a miss until he went to the Titans? That's hard. Uh, you know, I, mean, here's I, what I, th- I feel like the verdict is still out on him, but yeah. I think he, he was very much written off after his Dolphins. I, I'm going to steal an expression I heard from somebody the other day. He doesn't pass the confetti test for me. By that, uh, <laughs> what, what he meant, like I can never see Tannehill just after leading his team to a Super Bowl, confetti falling down on his head, going, well, this was a dream come true, and I always knew we'd get here. I think he's a great athlete. I think he's a good, not great quarterback, whether it was Miami or whether it's Tennessee. I mean, they won games based on Derrick Henry and defense. Like, I, I don't think he is an, I, I hate to give that cliched adjective. Well, here's the thing, man. I think he's would, elite. Would Trent, Dilfer, would Trent Dilfer have passed the confetti test for a lot of people until he did? Right, but does anybody credit Trent Dilfer with No, leading? and I don't think they would have with Tannehill either, but... Right. And that's the thing. Like back in the day, you could go with Trent Dilfer or Brad Johnson with an elite defense like Tampa and Baltimore had those years. And you could win an NFL championship, just like in college football. You could do what Nebraska did and run the triple option and win national championships without a great passing game. 
But this is this is a whole new era. You can't do it that way anymore. You might get to the playoffs. You might get to a bowl game, but you're not winning without a quarterback that can make big plays with his arm anymore. So I, I think that's where we are today as compared to 20 years ago. Yeah. So to stay with this list one more time, I apologize, JC, to oh, stay with this okay. list. Like, but Jimmy Garoppolo, like, where do we, where do we go with Jimmy Garoppolo oh, whilst gosh. staying on this list? If you can't win without a quarterback making big plays and big throws, we see what San Francisco is able to do right now. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, I had a 49er game this year and they won. And I listened to the postgame show on my car ride back from Santa Clara to San Francisco. And all they did was bash Jimmy Garoppolo for an hour and a half. I've never seen a fan base that so badly wants to get rid of the quarterback that's now in the NFC championship game. Um, yeah, that would that would disprove my theory a little bit. You're right. That that would be the the, the kind of the monkey wrench in my, my theory because I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is great either. I don't think he's awful. Um, obviously Bill Belichick saw something in him, but, but I, let's, let's let it play out is San Francisco. They're not in the Super Bowl yet. I don't think they will be. And Debo Samuel's their best offensive weapon. Uh, and I don't see a confetti falling on Jimmy Garoppolo anytime. I see Jimmy Garoppolo, like on the cover of GQ magazine, 10 years from now, maybe the world's sexiest man. That's a good looking guy. And I say that with a staunch record of heterosexuality, but he, I don't see him as passing the confetti test. <laughs> you like that, Michael? Thank you. Thank you. That was that. great. That was great. <laughs> that was, that was good. So, yeah. So, so I went. I went back just while, while you guys were talking. Just looked it up. Okay. So the first year I did rankings, I was at Rivals.com, and this this was kind of the class of '06. So these were the top four pro style quarterbacks in this class: Matt Stafford, Mitch Mustaine. You guys remember oh. him? Yeah, Arkansas. Uh, yeah, Arkansas Southern Cat, but just Bus City. Isaiah Williams, who went to Illinois, signed with uh, Ron Zook and Mike Loxley, who was there at the time, and led them to the Rose Bowl. And then a guy named Josh Freeman, who I think was a high draft pick, but he K State. Oh yeah, the Bucks spent a high pick on him. Nobody knows why, but uh, he just went. So here were the dual threat guys, Uh, and this was a this was a pretty good call. Number one was Tim Tebow. Number two, Demetrius Jones, who signed with another name and didn't do much. Jevin Sneed. Jake Locker, who I think was a first-round pick. He was, yeah. And then Jeremy Ricker. Now, 07, a little bit, little bit better. Uh, and that's back we, – we, we used to do pro-style and dual threat. Now you just don't because it's all the same. Um, number one was Jimmy Clausen. <laughs> number two was Ryan Mallett. Number three was John Brantley. Uh, number four was Mike Paulus. Uh, Ryan Mallett. I mean, Clawson played in the pros, right? Mallet uh, played well when he went back to Arkansas. Brantley started for two years, wasn't that good. Mike Paulus never got off the bench. Um, but look at my dual threats this year. This is this is pretty impressive. Number one dual threat, Tyrod Taylor. Number two, two dual threat out of high school, Cam Newton. Now number Who was three ahead of Cam Newton as dual threat. Uh, Tyrod Ty, Ty Taylor. Oh, Tyrod was good. Yeah. No, well, okay. this was out, this was out of high school though. So this was right. before, before Newton. Newton was a three-star quarterback by most people. I had him as a five. Was he a late bloomer? Because I mean, yep. physically alone, I mean, I've never, I've been up close with Cam Newton. I've interviewed Cam. I've never seen a physical freak like that at quarterback. A lot of people thought he was a tight end and he went to an all-star game that we covered and threw it better than he had. 
Yeah. Uh, and then the fact he was going into Florida's offense at the yeah. time, I was like, this kid in that offense with the way Tebow runs it, it right. is going to be unbelievable. Uh, but right. where where he became a quote-unquote five-star was in junior college. He went to Blinn Junior Blinn. College in Texas. They taught him how to throw. Yeah, And after that, he was unstoppable. The, but The uh, Buccaneers of Blinn Juco, by the way. Just a I, little- I was pretty proud of myself for that one um, with Newton being a five-star out of high school. Then Aaron Corb, who I don't re- – I mean, he did nothing at SC. Steven Garcia was the number four dual threat. Mm-hmm. And then Willie Korn, who is now the OC at Coastal Carolina. At Coastal, the- yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. They're kind of looking back on that as kind of a mixed bag. But uh, but you're right. And, and on to your point now, Mike, about quarter, quarterback play, and you've always – you know, you've always talked about it, and uh, you've always been spot on as we move forward. Number one, I'll say about with Garoppolo, there's always an exception to the rule. Those are out; those are outliers, and they mm-hmm. exist in this sport, whether we like it or not. That's just kind of nothing's ever 100 percent in this game. And then number two, kind of to my point earlier, I, I think that as the position has evolved to where, like nowadays, you don't really have like like Cam Newton and Tyrod Taylor would not be classified as dual threat quarterbacks. They would all be in one quarterback pool. And so some of those guys, you know, so some of those guys now, you know, th- th- they can run a little bit, but they all have to throw. And so the position now is more of a priority with, uh, yeah, you can't be a statue in the pocket anymore. Uh, and the pros still love these guys. That's why the kid from UCF got drafted number one a few years back, uh, all that even in the pros now, you you got to be able to move your feet. You don't necessarily have to run, but right. you got to be able to move your feet. Tom Brady, great footwork in the pocket, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't just sit back there like you used to and, and look around. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the days of the Peyton Manning type quarterback, I think, are are, are, are coming to a close. Um, unless you're going to be that good, you know, unless you're going to be like Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, so, so that's the thing, too. That position has just evolved in that manner uh, to where younger kids are, 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 even if they are a quote-unquote dual-threat guy and, and, and very good running the ball from that position, man, they are all, like, all, uh, you know, uh, concentrating on, on throwing and passing and, and doing seven-on-sevens. It's nationwide and working out with receivers, and they're just throwing and throwing and throwing. Uh, and that's why you have the quarterbacks like you do today to where, you know, you just don't even distinguish. Lamar Jackson's outstanding, you know, at throwing the ball, but he can also run that kind of thing. So it's uh, it's fascinating to see how it's evolved and how the importance uh, at the position that's always been important, but at all levels of football now, that position is uh, is just crazy, crazy, crazy uh, paramount to your success. And if you don't have one, it's going to be tough. JC, if you don't mind a little inside baseball question for you, when did the recruiting services like 24-7 decide that, hey, we just need to scrap the pro style versus dual and make it all one big thing? What was the watershed moment for the, the company there to decide that that's how it needed to be moving forward? Honestly, we talked, we started t- talking about that like, gosh, before I, 2013, 2014, uh, they just now got around to doing it. <laughs> uh, I think in some ways there are reasons why, I mean, you know, when you're, cause 24 seven was a still a younger company when I, when I left working in the national office there where you're at now, there's reasons why, cause you get more 
you know, publicity with your rankings. In other words, if you're the number one dual threat, people in newspapers and on radio, they're going to say, well, this guy's a, a top three quarterback nationally, even though he may be top seven. You know, he's top three in the dual threat category. So people are like, oh, yeah, you know, that guy. Uh, but they they did switch it up. They changed quarterback to quarterback. They uh, they moved defensive end outside linebacker to something called edge, which is a popular term these days, uh, and, and some things like that that make more sense for the modern game. But it's definitely been brewing for longer than what, you know, when we made the switch, I, I guess. It's just been something we talk about a lot uh, just because of how the game and the position has evolved. You know, like I said, guys, uh, you know – there are very few offensive systems in college now, whereas there used to be plentiful that could could do it, uh, that could take like a Pat White or a Tim Tebow and win a lot of games. Um, and it sounds probably like blasphemy because Tebow was a heck of a college quarterback, but yeah, you know, he had to kind of be in that right system, you know. And 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 nowadays, uh, very few. Dan Mullen's not coaching anymore, so you know it's like there goes another one. You can go play for Rich Rod at uh, Jacksonville State, but. Uh, most offenses nowadays in college and the pro now, you absolutely, no matter, no matter how good you can run it, you absolutely have to have that ability to throw because uh, otherwise you're too easy to dissect and you're not probably not going to go very far. All right. I think uh, we are ready for the tidbits, the other stuff going on, the odds and ends. The under the radar stories, the on the radar stories, the things that move the meat, the, the meter and the needle, they move them both because that's just the kind of guy Michael Haney is. And that's just the kind of segment the hot Haney five is. All right. Well, here we go, Mike. And uh, I just want to start with one in particular, because I know, JC, you have said that uh, you know, you're, you're as big a fan as any one of this particular gentleman. And I think when I first joined the JC and Morgan podcast, we were spending a lot of time talking about him because he had just been fired It. TCU, but an interesting note uh, there at the end of last week is that uh, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas has hired Gary Patterson to be a special assistant uh, to him there. And uh, I'm just curious your thoughts on on that particular move for him and for both of you. What's your favorite, uh, I guess, rival to rival move from from coaches? You know, fans get caught up in the rivalries and they get angry sometimes if if a coach has been wearing their colors, goes to either a division rival or just an absolute direct hated rival. But give me some thoughts on uh, maybe your favorite rival to rival move or something like that. I've got one just from my time in uh, my first job, Columbus, Georgia, I covered not just Georgia, but a lot of Auburn, Alabama, because you're right there on the state line. And Bill Oliver went from Alabama to Auburn. And I can Brother, tell Brother you, Bill. that's yeah. They and and Alabama fans never forgave him for that. And he goes, Bill Oliver was a big part of the the Gene Stallings success. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, JC was he not the the DC on the '92 uh, championship squad? Yeah, '92. Um, I believe he was '92. We can look that up and double check. I mean, that was a team that had Copeland, Curry, Antonio Langham, uh, Teague, and one of the best defenses I ever saw. That's what this year's Georgia defense kind of reminded me of. Anyway, uh, Oliver goes and joins Terry Bowden at Auburn and has success there. In fact, beat Steve Spurrier in those Florida offenses in back-to-back years in 93 and, and 94. So I just – I remember that, like, whenever that name would come up on my show, incensed Alabama fans would call up and go, that traitor! 
Benedict Bill over. And it was just like, wow. Okay. Uh, that, that gave me an inside uh, baseball look at just how hated that rivalry uh, is. And again, you don't see that a ton. Like you'll see an assistant coach go from one school to a rival from time to time, but a high level, successful, accomplished coordinator, that doesn't happen every day. No, it doesn't. I mean, there's assistant coaches that will go back and forth. Um, You know, of course, in South Carolina, one of the more infamous ones was Brad Scott, who got fired, and uh, he went one and ten, right? And he made this, you know, jovial comment that when he got fired, so I couldn't have kept my job at the junior high school uh, if I'd have gone one and ten. So it's okay, and everybody's like, "Well, all right." So then the next thing you know, he's up. He takes a job at Clemson where he proceeds to stay through the entire Tommy Bowden era. His son ends up being a star assistant coach uh, for Dabo Sweeney. He helps Dabo build a national championship program. <laughs> and, I mean, that was just kind of a the, – the whole the whole long tenure of Brad Scott in the state of South Carolina. Like, well, I mean, probably forgot he was the head coach for the Gamecocks for a while. Then he goes to Clemson and was instrumental – uh, and getting them going uh, big time. The brother Bill thing, anything in the state of Alabama, guys, is going to cause uh, a lot of a lot of issues. Uh, one of the more significant ones, I think, lately, uh, Tony Hughes, uh, who's kind of gone Southern Miss, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State, landed back at Mississippi State. Uh, he stayed there through the through Mullen and then now the Pirate, and I think he's there to stay, but. Yeah, he, I think he was part of Orgeron's first staff uh, at um, at Ole Miss, and then went and, and kind of crossed the line uh, and things like that. So uh, I think these moves are interesting. You know, Gary Patterson going to Texas. I think we've all heard, you know, a lot of things uh, over the years about Gary Patterson. People speculating that he's going to leave or, or whatever, and. Um, Texas always kind of came up. My understanding is his wife loves Austin and thinks that's a really nice place. And so uh, kind of a logical landing spot for him, uh, you know, as far as going and being an analyst and, you know, sort of helping them in an advisory role. Uh, I heard Mike Bobo, who was at Auburn this past year, uh, South Carolina before that, used to be at Georgia. Uh, He's now going back to Georgia. So you got Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, and Mike Bobo, all players from the illustrious Ray Goff era at Georgia (laughs) all on a championship level staff now. So that's awesome. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's good to see Mike get back and get back to his alma mater too. Cause I I like him a lot, you know, but, uh, yeah. I'll just say real quick on, on Patterson. I, 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 you can't lose. I mean, this is, this is a guy that's been a great defensive mind for a long time, did an outstanding job as a head coach for a long time at TCU before the wheels came off a little bit. Uh, so you can hire him as an analyst. He doesn't even count as one of your, your, your full-time coaches. Like that, that's a no brainer. That's the kind of moves that Alabama has been making. And Nick Saban has been making for years. You find a guy that just got fired that, you know, is talented. You get him uh, when his stock is lower, so to speak. And then he helps you win more than, than you did when, uh, before he got there. So I, I think it's a no brainer. Yeah. And, and so that's what analysts do, you know, analyze. So in other words, you're, you're trying to run your offense if you're Sark, right? Well, you're going to have Gary Patterson sitting there watching your offense every single practice and, and scrimmage and game. And he's going to be able to tell you, here's what I was going to, here, here's what I would do to stop you. 
And that kind of thing, if you listen to it, uh, that kind of thing can be very valuable. Well, speaking of Auburn and Mike Bobo and the the fact that he is now uh, in Georgia, uh, it was an interesting uh, first season for Brian Harson uh, on the plains there in Auburn, a guy coming from Boise State. And there's always the the discussion when guys come from a different part of the country and, and are not uh, as familiar in a particular area, how is recruiting going to go? So obviously the coordinator positions are very important. We see Derek Mason as a defensive coordinator, longtime Vandy head coach, uh, be the defensive coordinator there. And then Mike Bobo goes from South Carolina to Auburn, but both guys, uh, gentlemen, only last one season. So these two quote unquote really important hires that were supposed to set the foundation for Brian Harson uh, in the first year, obviously not a very good year on the planes overall for them. So your overall thoughts of those two guys, which on paper, again, a year or so ago felt like really, really good moves for a guy getting his first uh, taste of the sec gone after a year. Well, I, just for the record, I, I wasn't as high as most people were on either one of those hires. Um, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not down on Mike Bobo or Derek Mason, but I, I, it was an obvious like, okay, I'm Brian Harson. I'm not an SEC guy. I'm going to hire two SEC coordinators. Okay, fair enough. It, that that wins the press conference. It's hard to argue with the logic, but I I I don't know if I was overwhelmed by what Derek Mason did at Vanderbilt as a head coach. It's been a long while since he'd been a coordinator at at Stanford. Um, and then Mike Bobo, you know, did some things well at South Carolina and some things not so well. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to go to greener pastures. And that offense was a train wreck last year, an absolute train. It was really like, which, which side of the ball underachieved the most at Auburn in, in year one under, under coach Harson? I would say it was probably the offense under Mike Bobo, but I'm not sure if the defense was that far behind. So I, I, I think they just decided, okay, that was that was year one. We had to make some transitional moves and we had to get some SEC cred in, in the coaching box. But now we need to upgrade, so to speak. And I, I think that's what they're going to try. Well, they have already made the moves, right? I I don't know if you want to call Jeff Schmetting an upgrade or not, because I don't know enough about him. But that's that's the move they made on the defensive side. Um. Yeah, here's the thing. All right. So Auburn. <laughs> Since the departure of one Thomas Tuberville back in 2000, and what, what did he get fired, guys? When did Tubby get, get in 2008? Something like that was right around year? there. And again, he oh, bolted oh, it from Ole Miss to go to Auburn. Was Auburn? Well, since he left, right? Yeah. Auburn's had this kind of funny thing that they do. They'll, they'll go out and have a search, and then they'll you'll start getting calls from people, you know, that, that asking about assistance. Well, well before. They've got a head coach in place, right? And oh, what about this guy? What about this guy? Okay, well, he's not. Who's the head coach? Well, we don't know yet. But you know, Auburn wants it. You know, so so so, so who's who's asking about these guys? Yeah, that, that's my question. If you don't have a head coach, who's asking? Uh, if you look at the the, all, the Gene Chizik hire closely, uh, there were a lot of SEC assistants that were on his staff that. He had no prior connections to, even though he had coached Auburn a couple of years. There were some guys he hired that were just kind of, you know, well, we want to go get this guy. Okay, let's do it. Uh, then Malzahn comes in. Oh, same thing. You know, here's this this guy's going to be your coordinator here, and this guy's going to be your coordinator there. Well, well, here's where that doesn't work when it comes to Brian Harson. 
because Brian Harson isn't a Gus Malzahn who's been at Arkansas State for a year and this is his big break, or a Gene Chizik who's five and nineteen at Iowa State that's just happy to be there. Uh, and that's no offense to Gene Chizik. Happy for him as a person to get that job at UNC recently. But but Harson is his own guy. You know, he, he, you don't go hire, you know, Steve Sarkeesian and then tell him he needs to go, you know, uh, you know, hire Todd Monken as his OC. Do you? No. <laughs> it makes no sense. Uh, and, uh, you know, I talked to some people involved with that situation down there, and, it, you know, that, that wasn't Mike Bobo's offense. It was Mike Bobo trying to call Brian Harson's offense, and they're fundamentally different. And, and somebody should have known that. But I think there's there was like a there's been a fear when Auburn's made these hires uh, from their deciders that go you got to have a staff you got to have a staff you got to have a staff uh, and I think it for lack of a better term th- that process backfired on them this time because you have a guy that's actually pretty unique <laughs> uh, to say the least and you know wants his own guy he wants his own guys and, and you found out quickly when they they fired their receiving receivers coach in the middle of the year. Uh, just because he wasn't doing a good job, and it was that was not a guy that uh, Brian Harson had a lot of connections with down in the south. And, and I understand, like, look, you do need people that know how to recruit. You do, you need that, obviously. But I think at times when you're talking about coordinators, too much is placed on it. Um, the Derek Mason thing to me is a little bit fascinating, simply because I thought the Auburn defense at times played really well. Uh, especially against Alabama, if you think about that game. Uh, and and I, I'm with you, Mike. I was like, ah, it's been a while since Mason's coordinated a defense. I think they actually overachieved on that side of the ball in a lot of ways this year. And, and you didn't hear anything about, you know, because Harson's an offensive guy. You didn't hear anything about Harson being unhappy with him. But I, I, I think there was some tension there for some other reasons. Um, and uh, then there was talk about Mason going to Oklahoma State and, you know, away you go. But uh, it is fascinating that with Auburn specifically, third straight hire they've made where you have a flood of of SEC experience names coming in. Uh, I thought it worked out pretty well early on for Malzahn and Chiswick, but obviously with, with Brian Harson, it absolutely did not. Uh, and so now he's got his guys, uh, and you got to really watch that situation because I think if he turns it around and starts winning, no, nobody's going to say a word. You're like, great, do it your way, coach. But if he doesn't, you know, it's Auburn. <laughs> Everybody always has to remember that. It's Auburn. So, yeah, you, you could see this thing fall apart pretty quick. All right, guys, uh, speaking of some tension, uh, we'll go to uh, the overall health of college football. Fall and and what the postseason will eventually look like. I know last week you guys did touch on uh, on this a good bit, but we've got a little more clarity from Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, in terms of what he wants to see and trying to hold uh, and play the cards that he's got in his hand. Uh, wants a desire for schools to create a better plan for the transfer portal, uh, recruiting calendar. Uh, he calls responsible guardrails in air quotes regarding the in uh, nil uh, deals for athletes. Uh, as well. But um, gentlemen, your thoughts on the commissioner of, even though Clemson has obviously been very successful here the last few years, they're one of few teams uh, that have been able to do that on the football field for the ACC. The fact that it's that conference right now that is really holding things up in terms of progress for the future of the college football playoff. JC, you attack that one first. Yeah, I, 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 you know, 
I'll say this, and I said this on my Game Kai podcast today. Um, I will start out by saying, if you're Clemson, you absolutely are taking the right approach. I don't know why in the world they would want to change anything. Uh, it's set up great for them. Um, it's still set up great for them, regardless of what happened this year. Uh, you know, they're they're the, the big dogs in that conference. You 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 look around that league and you see dysfunction everywhere. Uh, everybody's talking about North Carolina. North Carolina went six and seven this past season. Mac Brown's seventy something years old. Um, they haven't had a breakthrough. You know, uh, Virginia Tech dysfunction. Uh, I, I believe a lot in Mario Cristobal, and if anybody can turn around Miami, it's him. You know, you got Florida State. That's there's some light at the end of the tunnel. But, but you go through those other programs in that league, man, and, and you're sitting there going, "Wow, well, Pitt and Wake Forest played for all the marbles." You know, and and Pitt actually is a good program historically, and it still means something in Western Pennsylvania to play for the Pitt Panthers and all that. So. Uh, I don't think they're a program without a chance, but, you know, if you're Clemson, you're like, hey, you know, uh, uh, we're doing well and, and, and we've dominated and, you know, there's nobody that's won as many as us besides Bama. And why would you want to give that up and, and have your players have to go through potentially two more tough games uh, to win it? Um So, uh, you know, I get that. I, I get, I get it if Ohio State's not, fired up about it. I get it if Oklahoma's not fired up about it, although Oklahoma's about to, you know, uh, be in a different situation, to say the least. Uh, you know, because th- those teams have been kind of set up. But uh, I think for the good of the game, uh, are all these other things issues? Yeah. Are, are you going to – I mean, are, are, are you really going to – should the playoff expansion be used as a bargaining chip to fix all these other issues? No. Are you really looking out for the other 13 teams in your league right now if you're Jim Phillips outside of Clemson? No. Because, you know, I think Wake Forest, I don't know about Pitt because Pitt had three losses. I think Wake Forest, had they won the ACC championship game this year, would have been a playoff team. How big would it have been for Wake Forest to go to the playoffs? Wake Forest. You know, otherwise, they have no chance. No chance. Um, And and so I, I... I, I think getting more teams involved is important too, but I also think competitively guys, you know, you got a talented loaded rested up Clemson team coming to play a Notre Dame team that doesn't have the speed to stay on the field with them after a month off that Notre Dame team is not going to win. You know, you got Cincinnati fired up out of their mind, bringing 40,000 people to the cotton bowl or to AT&T stadium for the cotton bowl to play Alabama all Alabama did was line up and run it at them and win the game. <laughs> uh, you know, these predetermined semis, uh, you know, are, are, are snoozers a lot of the time, right? Well, I think one of the ways you could avoid that is, well, you, you, you have other teams. So, in other words, you know, this year Cincinnati probably isn't getting past uh, Ole Miss, you know, if they had to play Ole Miss, as long as Ole Miss's quarterback was healthy and the team was healthy and all that. So, you don't have to worry about Cincinnati being in the final four or whatever. So I, I just don't think that there's been a whole lot of uh, fault put in from a competitive standpoint and from a product standpoint when, when Jim Phillips says these things. Um, and I just don't think it's the right way at all to fix any of these issues, but I do think there's a sinister motivation here. I think they're trying to force Notre Dame to join their league. 
Uh, and this is a big, uh, a big old chip that I think they're, uh, they're trying to play one way or the other. I don't know. And I don't know exactly well, how the logic is on that. That's you hit on one pink elephant in the room and I'm going to give you an even bigger one because I don't think Notre Dame is ever joining the ACC. Um, and, and that is a big card because under the current contract, and this is what Jim Phillips did not talk about in the, you know, in all the discussion and all the reasons why they didn't want it, uh, you know, well, the, to put the student athletes through an additional game, which we don't, we don't even be talking about like one team uh, to play a 17th game uh, to, to, to do that would just be uh, unfair. And, uh, you know, all these things, NIL, and we, we got to go hit the reset button. I, what I heard was everything but the fact that the ACC of the Power Five has the least lucrative television deal, $17 million annually per school. That is less than half of what the SEC's deal is, which is about to explode when Oklahoma and Texas finally do make uh, their way to the Southeastern Conference. The Big Ten is about to get G'd up. The Pac-12 is about to get G'd up, even though they have been almost irrelevant in playoff college football since this format started eight years ago. So if you expand now, the current contract as you know it, 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 it kind of stays the same, right? Like they're estimating there would be an additional – uh, $450 million increase in rights fees from ESPN for the last few years of the deal. And that's great. That's great. But you're not gaining any ground on the other uh, schools if you're the ACs, uh, the other conferences. So if 450 is split among the Power Five, you're still 20-something behind million behind the SEC. You're about to be who knows how much behind the Big Ten, who knows how much behind the Pac-12. And, and your deal with with ESPN is locked in until 2036 at 17 million a year. Okay. So the only way that that changes specifically in, in relation to the other leagues is if you play this out for the next four years, the playoff that is, and then you allow multiple networks to come into the fold because after the four years are up, it's no longer an exclusive property of ESPN. It could be ESPN and Fox. It could be ESPN and Amazon. It could be CBS, which already is about to lose the SEC. They could say, you know what? That sucks. We kind of loved being one of the homes of college football. Let's get back in on this playoff thing. We got a lot of money. That's what I think the ACC is doing. They're playing the long game here. They're playing the long game and – they don't possibly think that a four-team playoff benefits them. Because as you mentioned, J.C., unless Clemson is playing elite like they were, the ACC at best gets one team in, or at worst, like this past year, they get zero. So they know that a 12-team playoff is better long-term than the SEC, but they also want more TV money, and they're willing to wait four years to get it. And I really think of all the factors that have been floating out there and why this conference would be the fly in the ointment, because it seemed like everybody else just about came around. That's to me, one of the main reasons why, and I'll say one other thing in four years, if we don't expand this and some of these conference commissioners get cute and kind of, it no longer has to be a unanimous vote in four years. Right, so right now you got to have all 11 people, 
in that room agree to change anything, which is why it's it's seemingly never going to get done. And some people are still kind of, uh, oh, yeah, SEC, well, you got Oklahoma and Texas. Well, fine. Now I'm not going to give you the 12-team playoff. Again, what's the expression I always use? Cutting off your nose to spite your face. You're not, you're not hurting the SEC more than you're hurting your own league, I can assure you. But in four years, if you want to play that game, there's only two conferences right now that you absolutely have to have in a college football playoff. If you really want to be brass tacks about this, like we all want inclusive, we all want – you know, we want the Pac-12, the Big Ten, the ACC. But the playoff, the only way it doesn't survive is if you don't have the SEC and the Big Ten. Because those are the two leagues that rule the roost right now. They're the most relevant. They're the most lucrative. They're the, had the most uh, reach in terms of fans, in terms of passion, in terms of everything. They lead the way. And if those two conference commissioners four years from now want to get together and you say, you know what? I remember some of the people that made this so difficult and made us wait for four years. Now it's payback time. I'm just saying they could really hold a lot of people by the short hairs, so to speak, if they decided to do so. Oh, I absolutely agree. And and I think that it's a bit disingenuous. Some of the things they're saying, like, like I said earlier, I understand Clemson's, um, Clemson's point of view uh, on it. And if I were that particular school, I would be saying the same things. Well, yeah, well, like Dabo Sweeney says, sure. and, and forgive me for saying, I'm not trying to uh, bag on Dabo here. I've defended Dabo on a number of things over the years. Dabo mm-hmm. Sweeney says, well, there's not even 12 teams that are good enough to win a national championship. Well, that's, we, we know that just like there's not 68 teams good enough to win a, a championship in college basketball. But could you imagine if we only took the top four teams every year in basketball? Like, you, could you imagine if the NFL only took the top four teams in their playoffs? Sure. The 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 future is expanding. It's not it's not contracting and it's not staying at four. So that's another. Quite frankly, uh, it's 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 not a valid argument. Like we're not saying you have to go to twelve because we believe the number twelve team has a great shot at the national championship. You need twelve because you need more people involved in this. And I don't know any college football fan that wants fewer college football playoff games. I, I think that window of, you know, well, it's just the way it's always been. I, I think those people, are they've gone the way of the dodo, and even they've come around and go, yeah, yeah, this needs to be improved, and we need to go from four to a higher number, and that higher number appears to be 12. Good stuff, gentlemen. And we can, uh, can all only hope. You're absolutely right. I mean, more in this situation is better, and I think the product overall – will be better. Uh, this is uh, going on to, to the next topic, and this is something we have discussed before, and I know that it's something that you touched on and talked a bit about last week, but I was having a discussion uh, with a friend uh, of mine uh, over the last few days uh, in terms of the transfer portal, and, and again, speaking of the future expanding and things changing drastically in the collegiate game, um, the, the question that he asked me is, do you think that we will see this the, the transfer portal be the primary source for filling college football rosters within the next decade and the high school recruitment taking a back seat to that. Is that something uh, that you guys see as a real possibility now that we are sort of in this new age free agent, uh, free agency within college football? I'm going to give a very cursory answer because I know JC is much more qualified than I am to, to answer this. And by the way, you don't have to uh, maintain the anonymity of your friend. We all know it's Sid Farkas, the bra salesman uh, that specifically hired wrong. George Costanza. Micro spandex. 
Oh, okay, I'm sorry, Mitch. Yes, we could forget it. Mitch, he was uh, putting at night, as I understand it. Um, you don't want to do that. The um, I look. I think bottom line is, ironically enough, JC was just talking about Dabo. I mean, Dabo is coming around to the party. You 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 can't do what you need to do anymore. Just ignore. Just going on high school talent alone, even if you're perennially top ten recruiting classes, because the transfer portal is just it's an instant like think of all the benefits that some coaches felt that they had in a top-notch juco well now remove some of the baggage and find a kid who wasn't playing juco ball but a kid that was playing in the sec and was a starter and you can get him on your school like there i don't know how you can be next level championship good anymore uh without it but I, I i certainly don't think recruiting is downplayed either so with that i defer to the man the myth of recruiting legend jc yeah i mean look there's going to be some schools that do it um the the <laughs> I don't, i'm not gonna say they don't have a chance but they're, they're gonna they're gonna put a bigger emphasis on it and, and and sort of be a second chance place for a lot of guys i think on the group of five level you'll see that uh, uh texas state's already uh, looked looked more like a, a portal heavy, you know, the vast majority of their players are from the portal. Uh, but, but big time programs aren't going to, they're, they're not going to shy away from recruiting high school guys. Uh, and unlike basketball where, because I think it's going to fundamentally change college basketball. I, I think that already has is way. Yeah. Even before there was instant eligibility, Mike, gosh, there was a ton of transfers every single year. Uh, I think this offseason you're looking at massive roster turnover. And in basketball, I think it's going to be that way all the time. But you're dealing with 13 scholarships. In football, there's a lot more people on the roster and a lot, you know, you're, you're dealing with a lot more numbers uh, at different positions and things like that. One thing I will say that people need to kind of think about because this whole being in recruiting for 15 years, you start, you think about things one way you know, signing day. Okay. There's an early signing day now. Okay. You got that. Okay, good. All right. JUCOs. Okay. There's no more prep schools. All right. Do very easy. It's easy now to sit there and think the portal is like JUCO 2.0. But what I'm noticing is yes, for some schools like Alabama, you know, they're getting, um, they're getting the kid from Georgia tech. Who's one of the most proven players in the country. He could win a Heisman there next year. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, you know, they got Henry Toto from Tennessee last year, who's a proven guy. Uh, <laughs> something that I've they just got Jermaine Burton weird to me is they got Jermaine Burton. Um, uh, but then you also look and, and they do have a kid uh, named Eli Ricks, who uh, was class of 2020. Uh, so he got a red shirt his first year, played for LSU last year. He's got three years of eligibility left. Now he's probably good enough. He won't be at Alabama that long. But but so so what's the difference between getting an Eli Ricks or, or redshirting a guy for two years of developing in him and to being a starter, uh, which may or may not work out. You know, uh, you know, and, and so that's that's the kind of the magic of it uh, is that you you don't necessarily if you take six portal players. They don't all have to be graduate transfers that have one year of eligibility left, and that throws your roster out of balance. You can take – if you take 10, 
you could take two or three guys that were freshmen last year, two or three guys that have two or three years left. You can take a couple of older guys. I mean, it, it really is a way if you do it right to, to, to where you could just not, not necessarily overhaul, but tinker your roster every year and maximize it uh, to where you're not going through a season where, you know, man, we, we, we've been really good for a long time, but boy, our offensive line sucks this year <laughs> because, because we, because everybody misses in recruiting sooner or later. Um, that cornerback Alabama put on the field uh, when Georgia threw it down the field to win the game, you know, the, that's a, I don't want to call the young man a miss, but obviously he's not as good as the corners they usually put out there, right? And Georgia recognized it. So everybody has deficiencies. Well, this is a way you can just, you know, you're not plugging it with the silly putty that is JUCO recruiting. Uh, you got some nice, you know, uh, lacquer and and grout. What was it called? What's it, what do you call it? Grout? Gout? Grout? Is it grout? That my, my, my <laughs> I don't girlfriend, think you want gout. gout yeah. Girlfriend's been tiling up the – the kitchen in there so whatever she uses that's she does nice, not have gout that's nice stuff so you know it, it, so you don't you know you're you're not necessarily taping it together with bubble gum or whatever you're you're actually professionally put you know plugging whatever holes in your roster upgrading your roster that you can and, and i i don't think it'll ever get to the place where you'll see nick saban you know run off 20 guys and go get the best 20 uh from the portal he can um I do think that uh, you're going to see schools use it. And, and I think it, it's going to be interesting enough uh, to where culture is going to become more and more important with various football programs because, you know, some of these guys at these schools that have had highly rated recruiting classes where you, you've seen it all fall apart all of a sudden, you're like, how did that happen? Like <clears throat> champions of life at Tennessee. They had a bad culture, guys. Uh, and, and now when champions of life gets fired, instead of leaving Jeremy Pruitt, something to, to kind of work with, they're all going to leave, uh, or they're going to leave before champions of life gets fired. Uh, and so culture and, and retention, uh, and having a place that kids want to be is going to become very, very important moving forward. And some of these quote unquote blue, blue blood schools, uh, do not have that right now. Um, and you know, the hope is that it'll get there. I mean, look how quick it took Mullen and Florida to fall apart, you know? And I think that's why when, when they went to hire Billy Napier and he's got all this infrastructure he's putting in place and the plan and the process and all that, that's why they put an emphasis on that because you're literally not only recruiting portal and, and high schoolers and whoever you're, you're recruiting your own players. You have to have a situation that, you know, is in their best interest. Uh, and, uh, and and that starts with culture. Now, it's also not to say that you can have the best culture in the world and you're getting your brains beat in. Uh, that's not going to help either. <laughs> so you know, there's a lot there's a lot of a uh, lot of factors that go into it. But I uh, I think that's the kind of the magic of it is you you just don't have to go and and, and you know sign 14 grad transfers every year that are seniors and kind of roll the dice like a Jackie Sherrill at Mississippi State used to do with JUCOs, you can spread it out and really tweak and optimize as you move forward. Well, it's certainly going to be fascinating to see how all of that plays uh, moving forward and how different coaches 
try to uh, attack it, young coaches versus older coaches as well. And uh, with that in mind, I, I want to end with a a sort of fun one, but one of the uh, the last little nuggets here um, that I'd like to spring on you guys uh, is that Brian Billick, the former Ravens coach, and uh, he's been an analyst uh, on television here the last few years, he's going to join Herm Edwards at Air. Arizona State as a, as an offensive analyst and a supervisor to the head coach. One thing I didn't realize when reading this story is that one Marvin Lewis of the Cincinnati Bengals, formerly of the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, and no playoff wins uh, until you know obviously he he moved on and the Bengals are doing their thing. Uh, Marvin Lewis is also with Herm Edwards at Arizona State. So uh, guys, Herm Edwards, Marvin Lewis, and Brian Billick uh, all on the same uh, coaching staff at Arizona state right now. Um, I'm fascinated by that. So I would like to ask Mm. you not your thoughts necessarily on, will that succeed or will it not? But if you could choose three NFL, former NFL head coaches with varying degrees of success to take over uh, a college football program, Mm. uh, who would you like to see? What do you think would be uh, maybe Mike for, for you might be the next uh, Netflix series that you would like to watch. Uh, who would you like you? to see put together? Yeah. What, what trio of former NFL head coaches would you like mm-hmm. to see cobbled together to try and uh, raise the fortunes of, of some Jeez. college football team? By the uh, way, is Arizona state on probation yet? Like you want to well, know how, how weak the NCAA is now <laughs> they blatantly just violated every COVID rule. It's all on videotape and nothing has happened. Like they're just going on there, like yeah, nothing to see here, right? I mean, have you heard anything, JC? Is that nah? I have not. Uh, it just disappeared, just, didn't it? I just know their average is grits. I mean, eight and five. J- yeah, Jaden Daniels, a quarterback. Your average is grits. And they play a lot like an NFL team. Like, like, hey, we can lose four games and still make the playoffs. No, you can't. Playoffs. Yeah. No. Here, here's the strength of of this situation. Number one, Herm Edwards, who was never a great NFL coach, but he 56 and 78, Mike is a head coach, 41% winning percent. Right. And had to, and had to hire a time management coach because he could never handle the clock down the final two minutes, but all that's forgotten because he is likable. Like he is really everybody that I know that has come across Herm Edwards will tell you he's likable and he gives a hell of a speech. I mean, you know, he can go into a room. It doesn't matter if he's won 8% of his games. Like he can give you a hell of a speech and, and give you the rah-rah. And so you got that going for you. And if you've ever been on campus at Arizona State, that is a sweet place to be. So it's not like you're hiring in Manhattan, Kansas, uh, former NFL coaches that are like, eh, I, I'm not I'm not down with this. It's a lot easier to uh, to sell that campus. Not that far from Phoenix, where uh, a lot of coaches wind up retiring anyway. Um you know, that's a tough, tough question to answer, Michael mm. Haney. What is his final jeopardy? <laughs> Three former NFL coaches. Who would you pick? Um, I mean, look, if we're not, if we don't care about baggage or personality or uh, recent scandals, I mean, John Gruden would certainly be a guy that could draw up some pretty good plays, I would think, for somebody out there on the offensive side. Um, he doesn't like young quarterbacks, though. Oh. Yeah, well, in college, you don't have a choice. Um, he, right. he could he could bring back his his uh, quarterback room, uh, you know, reality type show that he had on ESPN for years. Um, there's, I mean, the NFL is littered with 
NFL defensive coaches that were fired. In fact, if you look at the playoffs, look at the head coaches that are left. They're almost all offensive guys, right? And, and I mean, almost every one of them has a background in offense. And the coaches that keep getting fired are defensive coordinators who wind up getting head coaching jobs. And then three years later, they're fired. So just a little FYI on that note. So you wouldn't have any problem finding a, a really good NFL defensive mind that was recently fired and bringing him to your college campus. That wouldn't be too much of a challenge. And then as your head coach, as your head coach, Ooh, I mean, if you want personality and laughs, you could bring in like a, like a Rex Ryan, I mean, he, he'd be, he'd be interesting. Um, man, JC, you helped me out here. I'm still buying time on that one. All right. So I, I, it's like I say, T question. I'm to not wrap even things like, up here. I, I'm ignoring, like, I'm going to ignore like age. I'm going to ignore. Now I'm not going to go there. Cause those two guys, uh, rest in peace, Dan Reeves and John Madden. I think those guys would have worked. So I'm going to ignore age. I'm going to go Jerry. You have to be alive, though, I think is a prerequisite. Yeah, you have to be alive. Okay. I I'm think going, that was Michael's. I'm going Jerry. <laughs> you can't, I can't hire George Hallis right now. Can't hire Vince Lombardi. You know, <laughs> but, uh, I'm going Jerry Glanville. Oh, you can bring back the uh, the grits blitz. The grits blitz. The, El, the, the, the leaving tickets for Elvis. He rides a yeah. motorcycle to practice. Uh, his whole thing in college was. Um, Derek Pros, his, his shtick got old, you know, and he'd go right. in and fire people up and win, and he had wore a big belt buckle. And I just think the guy'd be outstanding, you know, in his prime as a college coach because he, he's kind of quirky, probably in a place like Florida, you know, where they just love him and he runs a wide open offense, a wide open defense. Why not? Uh, why not? I did have Rex Ryan on my list. There we go. <laughs> uh, another kind of character um, defense. I don't know. But big pictures of feet all over the locker room. DVI defense. I don't know. I, I, something tells me Rex Ryan could probably go uh, go recruit uh, pretty well. Uh, I did not uh, mention Urban Meyer. Uh, I just didn't. Um, no, I, I, I would think he would be in a different category, right? Yeah, I think Urban um, needs to just chill. Yeah. So um, Rex Ryan, Jerry Glanville, and. Yeah, I don't know, Mike Shanahan, somebody like that. I, I always was kind of intrigued when they used to talk about Shanahan taking the Florida job because I've always kind of felt Florida needs an offensive mind uh, or somebody creative on offense. But uh, uh, Glanville's always been my mind. He's 80 years old now, so probably not uh, Probably not going to be in the, He was the head coach at Portland State for a couple of years. But uh, That's right. So, so who knows, but th- those would be the guys. I mean, you know, a guy like June Jones obviously would be very attractive, but heck, he just, there's a big hullabaloo down in Hawaii because I Hawaii know. didn't rehire him or whatever. So he didn't uh, get that, the terms he wanted. They went with Timmy Chang. Yeah. So that's, uh, that'd be my deal there. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Michael, well, do you have any more brain busting questions? No, no, that's it. That's it. I just, uh, I just got a kick out of that particular thing. Like, oh, those guys are just all they're just hanging out in Tempe. I mean, I don't blame them at all. You're absolutely right, Mike. You know, so, uh, there are worse places to be. Never yeah. going to be. Yeah. Herm's never going to be fun guy to be around. Never going to be better than nine and four. <laughs> I, I would. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. Oh, and, I, and, I, and I maintain this too. I think that just. 
the NFL is just a different, different, different deal, man. It's a different ball game, and the the fun things they're doing on offense in that league right now, you can't necessarily do those in college because you don't have all this time during the week to do all this nuance and, and the things that they do. I, mean, I, I wish it was that way. I wish, and the good colleges know how to scale it to where it does look like that. Uh, because those were just amazing, amazing play calls, execution, quarterback play, whatever. But you know, my, I, you know, my next, yeah, my next question would be who, you know, after the Urban Meyer thing just completely uh, died. But but he's not going to be the last high profile co- college coach to get a pro job. Who's the next one? I'll make a <laughs> prediction. You go. I'll, I'll, I'll make a prediction. Lincoln Riley turns it around at Southern Cal, and in five years he pulls a Pete Carroll and bolts for the NFL. I could see it because there's been a lot of talk, and especially about those Dallas Cowboys. Um, and I have a feeling, based on today's news, Sean Payton, maybe after a year off, will be the next coach of the Cowboys. He'll give it three or four years, and then it'll I, be time. Yeah, I – I tell you, I've got a world of respect for that guy. I think he's I think he's one of the most brilliant offensive minds the NFL's had in the last couple of decades. I think he's going to go to Fox and uh, replace <laughs> yes, Troy yeah. Aikman in the TV booth and just, just love be. life, making a seven-figure salary, doing television. I think he's, I think he's done. Hey, some of these guys, though, gets in their blood. And oh, I know. And like Dick Vermeil. Remember, he hung it up and was happy yeah. in the booth. Then he came back, won again, and then he went back. to cry you know, some more. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to cry some more. But, you know, like, like – so I think Cliff Kingsbury's working out in Arizona. I, 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 you know, his record is still 500 like it was at Texas Tech, but I, but I think he's, he's, he's working out there. Uh, and you have all these young offensive guys. So, like when we all laughed at Al Davis when he hired Lane Kiffin back in the – to the 2000s or whenever the, the first time – uh, you know, with no head coaching experience, um, just to, you know, as a court, yeah, as a head coach of the Raiders, we kind of laugh, but I think situations like that could happen, uh, more often in the NFL because it, it is a league where, you know, you, you see a Sean McVay doing well, you see a Kyle Shanahan doing well, that kind of thing, and how instrumental those guys have been to their different franchises. And, and it's about offense and youth in the coaching department. And so uh, I think you're going to see more things like that where even a hot shot young coordinator from the college level could get handed a head coaching job at the NFL and it wouldn't be weird. Mm. Interesting. That it, Michael? Did we empty the tank? The tank is we empty. Empty the tank. Yeah. All right. I, I, I felt like I, uh, I strained your brain a little too hard there. So uh, it's time, time to go get some water, Mike, and uh, take a water. deep breath and, I need and cool drink. down. I need a cocktail after that last question. Good lord, that was that was tough. Bringing the heat today. I don't know though. Yeah, did Jerry, Jerry Glanville and, and Rex Ryan together on the same staff would be uh, would be yeah. some good stuff. It'd be fun. I would I would enjoy that. It's a good call, yeah. Casey. <laughs> uh, and again, Gruden doesn't need the money, but I don't know if he's getting another NFL job. I mean, he could certainly get a college job. I mean, he could certainly get one of those, and would probably yeah. do quite well in terms of running offense. Maybe like Liberty. Oh heck! I, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know if you have to go that that, yeah, that far know. down the food chain. I, I mean, it, it <laughs> you, the, it's not Hugh Freeze's situation. Um, 
I don't know. I, I just think in, in the cutthroat world of college football success, if you could hire a guy that you think is going to bring you instant uh, wins, I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw it past uh, an AD, an ambitious AD out there, but we'll see. We'll see what, uh, what happens. I know what will happen next week. We'll be back with another podcast. Uh, fellas, enjoyed it. We laughed. We cried. We learned about the future of Netflix subscriptions between the uh, amongst the three of us, mm-hmm. and um, and we learned kind of the the history of the eight NFL quarterbacks that we saw this weekend. We're down to four. Should be a fun uh, NFL playoff, and maybe it'll help us yearn for a college football playoff that could be uh, a little bit spicier in time. Guys, enjoyed it. Enjoy the rest of your week and everybody out there. Enjoy your week and weekend. We'll see you next week on JC and Morgan.